First Samuel chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 starts with this. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. And right there we should say, uh-oh. Not because women are trouble, but in the Bible, God never condones or encourages polygamy, but it it's happens. He allows it for whatever reason. But if you look at the whole Bible, whenever there's more than one wife, there's always this level of dysfunction. And the guys have a big part to do with it. And so he had two wives, and the setup is the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other is Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. It sets it up in that way. He has these two wives. And the key narrative is focusing on these two women. And Penina had children. And the narrative focused on Hannah who did not. And verse 2 seems to emphasize Hannah had no children. Now, Penina, we could probably conjecture and speculate. She was a good mom because we could probably note whenever her children were around, she was alive and she was kind of smug. Here are my great kids. She fed them. She made them happy. And it has nothing to do with just her character. I think when she saw her rival and saw that Elkanah loved Hannah more, maybe there was something in her that just invoked, this is the way I'll get leverage on you. And so the contrast is stunning, though. Penina found her significance in her children. Hannah finds her significance in God. Let's keep going. Hannah would eventually have a child later on through all this affliction. And as she would grow up, that child would become the greatest prophet in Israel history. So Penina was arguably a good mom, but I want to share what is the difference between a good mom and a godly mom. Godly moms are always good. Good moms may not always be godly. I'm going to say that again. Godly moms are always good. Good moms are not always godly. And the reason why I'm so excited that Thelma shared, I did not know what she was going to write, and she read it over the phone, and she said, is this okay, Pastor Jason? And I said, is that okay? You're going to make my sermon sound bad. So, <laughs> Thelma, thank you. That's the difference between what is a good mom, and I know hundreds of good moms, what is a godly mom? Let's keep going. Verse 3. Now this man used to go up year by year for his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. Church, can you say, uh-oh? Because those two are not the most... Um, upright, if you will. And so they went anyway because it's the annual sacrifice and they did it faithfully. On the, four, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Verse 5. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Now, now let's not, let's fall to Elkanah. You can't show favorites if you have two wives. That's just not wise. But he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb, and so we realized she couldn't have babies because it was the Lord that said, not now. Interesting. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her 
because the Lord had closed her womb. I mean, talk about lacking compassion. So it went on year after year. Can you imagine years of this? You're going to the offering and you hear your rival saying, hey, are you going to share all that food that Elkanah gave you with all your kids? Oh, I'm sorry, you don't have any kids. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Women, forgive men. And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Brace yourself, women. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Sometimes men could be so thick. But this is the reality. This is why I love the Bible, the originality, the realism of it. And so, what is it about Hannah that made her from just a woman to a godly woman, just a mom eventually to a godly mom? And I just want to share just three simple things. One, in her time of want, Hannah was actually drawn to God. In her time of no child, she was actually drawn to God. How many, how easy would it be for Hannah to say, you know, God, you close my womb, I'm done with you. How easy is it to be so discouraged and disappointed? God, why does this door not open for me? You've opened it for every one of my siblings. Or, God, I'm the only one in the neighbor. Why is this happening? No. In all these things, Penina in her jealousy would poke at Hannah, and Hannah clung to God. In our deepest times of want, what do we do? Draw closer to God. Lean into God. And in our suffering and desperation, prayer is teaching us that's the gift of prayer. That when we struggle, we don't run away from God or try to figure out this ourselves. Sometimes when you're at a point of dead end, what do you do? That's the time to get on our knees and weep and cry and pray to God. Um, we live in America and we have this weird subconscious principle that's ruling. You ready for this? Suffering is bad. Now, if you think about it, when you look at the Bible, suffering is not bad. God actually uses suffering to make people turn closer to him. Matt Chandler, he's a pastor, and he quotes this. It's on the screen. Can we read this together? Comfort is the God of our generation. So suffering is seen as a problem to be solved and not a providence from God. Whew, that's heavy. We see suffering as the problem, so the answer is to seek comfort and then so when we do that, we don't recognize that God uses suffering and even a baby not being born or being able to carry as possibly God's providence. Uh, in your bulletin, we've been inserting Heidelberg catechism questions. That's to show you the depth and rich of, richness of theology. Question number 27 is this. What do you understand by the providence of God? And it says this. God's providence is his mighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hands, he basically can uphold the heaven and the earth. We believe our God can make every leaf stand or fall at will. We believe our God is indeed able to make rain and drought, fruitful barren years, food and drink, health and sickness. He can do anything. We believe in that. So question 28. So Jason, that's nice. What does that mean for me? Listen to this question. 
What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Listen to this. If God is a providential God, we can be patient in adversity. Somebody say amen. Amen. If God is a providential God in adversity, what can we do? Patience. Thankful in prosperity. Not I built my house, my job, my kingdom, but God has done it through me. Praise be to God. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. This is the providence of God. Hannah did not struggle in prayer because she was doing wishful thinking. She had this incredible devoted faith, which we'll see even more of in a short while, and her confidence in God leaned in. Friends, if you're suffering right now, I want to pray for you. We want to pray for each other. We want to say, wow, I'll comfort you. But we could also say, thank you, God, that you are still here. Thank you, God, that this situation is not oblivious to your purpose and your providential plan. I don't like it, and it's definitely evil and wrong, but I believe you are a sovereign, providential God, and you can do anything. Verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Eli, now Eli, the priest, was sitting. And this is a funny exchange. He thought she was drunk. And then she makes this vow in verse 11. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. In her vow, you see her motivation. She doesn't want a child. She wants a child that she can dedicate to God. There's a difference. Just let me ask you all. Do you feel in our society, we idolize our children to a point where it's a little bit too much? I played baseball with my son for the past 20 weeks in Little in Pony. Man. It's so easy to make your children idols and lift them up. Don't you dare talk to my son, I win. Two weeks ago, we had to have uh, parents shield the ump because the other team wanted to beat up the ump. So we had to lock him up in our snack shack so that the parents could leave and the ump said, you don't have to call the police. What happened to us? The motivation for children is not for our significance, but it's for God's glory. And so Hannah drew into God in a time of want, not for her self-esteem, but because she trusted in God. So that second thing is this. When she got her provision, Hannah drew closer to God in her provision. What does that mean? Verse 19, later on, it says this. She goes back, and they worship before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. That's a fancy word in the Bible saying they, they got it on. That's They knew his wife. And the Lord remembered her. Verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. What was that? And in due time. So whenever you're in the middle of a rut, what do you say to yourself? In due time, God will answer this. And she conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now, 
she has every right to be what we would call in modern day phraseology a mama bear. This is my Samuel. We pray for him. Don't you ever touch a hair on his head. He is my pride and joy. What does Hannah do as soon as he's weaned? It says when he was two or three when he's weaned, she takes him up to the temple and says, Eli, do you remember me? God has answered our prayer. Here is my son. I dedicate him to the Lord. She fulfills her vow, and she finds significance not in keeping her son, but in giving her son up to the Lord. Penina was a mother who found joy in having children. Hannah was a mother who found joy in giving her son to the Lord. I need us to soak that in in modern America, 21st century. The reason God gives us his children is not to look good or to feel good or to find wealth and significance in their dreams. That's a given. The reason God gives to his children, children, is that they become dedicated and grow to the Lord. I would say it this way. This is, this is not in the Bible. This is Jason Coe-ism. My wife and I talk like this. Our parenting success is not how happy our children are. Because that comes as a byproduct of this main thing. Our happiness, our goal, our dream for our children, success is this. Do each of our children know Jesus Christ, follow Jesus Christ, and trust the heavenly provident of God even more than mom and dad? When that happens, we feel touchdown. God, they are yours. And guess what that leads to? Entitled self-centered children? No, you know what that leads to. Devoted children who can be a generation that leads others to the Lord. And this is what the church says, amen. That's what we want. I want my children to bring me insight and praise to God and show me greater pictures of God. And the reason why we don't see that, Francis Chan is a pastor who preached on this, and he says this. He says, today, our our sin in our church is idolatry of our families. He says, instead of giving our kids to the Lord, we treasure them and we center everything around our families. And he says, families become quick to dismiss God's call and mission, and instead, they focus all their energy resources on themselves. Christianity today picks up this thought and they say, Francis Chan, not only are you missing out on life, but we are turning away our children by the droves because our lives are not the adventure they see in scripture and they are not experiencing the Holy Spirit. And Francis Chan says, they're experiencing instead what he calls a Christian version of the American dream. I love Hannah because in all that desperation, she finally gets what she's been praying for and what does she do? turns it right back to the Lord because, God, this was about you always anyway. (laughs) Try this. Forget children. Try something else. Career. God, I want a career. I want to show that all the gifts you give me in music and skills and computer and business is for you. So God gives you that job. Do you turn it back to the Lord and say, this is all you're doing? Let me dedicate in my tithe, in my worship, in my centering of you. Or have you made it and said, thank you, see you later. I'll come back to you when I need you. And I love that. So these questions invoke in my mind that I'd like to ask you is, 
Do the activities of your family enrich closeness with God? Or do we simply play religion? I am not asking, are you doing religious activities? Do your household activities point people and draw closer in intimacy with God? Because you bet in those three years that Hannah had Samuel, she would say, Samuel, God heard my prayer. That's what your name means. And everything in life, if you forget, mom and dad will fail you, but God will never fail you. Samuel grew up. Lastly, I want to say this. Hannah's faith is extraordinary because she completely loves and believes God is to be glorified as her higher call. How do we know this? I'll end with this. In Samuel chapter 2, um, this is the prayer Hannah gives. And I thought this would be a great way to end this time of sermon with us praying this prayer that Hannah prayed. And as you read this prayer, I'm not going to give you the lines that point to Jesus. I want you to see how through this miracle, Hannah sees a glimpse prophetically of the future Savior laced in her prayer that seems, makes you go, how would she know? It's because when you draw to the heart of God, you see his purpose and his providential plan, not just to make your life whole, but to make the world have the shalom and the wholeness that is found in Jesus. Let's read this together, screen by screen. Here we go. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Here we go. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. What does she know about God? He's a God who gives life, and in death, he can resurrect. Last parts. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. From a second wife of a Hebrew man comes this incredible prayer. And I want to just challenge you today. May you go home and may that prayer become so part of your heart, your devotion, 
your understanding of a providential God who hears us. And may that shape you into being parents, adults, fellow church members that can fulfill God's will through us for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we surrender our pride. We confess our self-sufficiency. And when we're in want, we recognize you're the provider. And when we're in plenty, we recognize you are still the provider. God, as Hannah prayed, may we have this profound weight and theology and understanding that we are nothing from you, that our significance doesn't come on what we have or what we've been given, but our significance is you. Jesus, may we draw closer to you. May we be people of prayer. May we be people of faith that cling to you when the world says, turn away. You are our hope and treasure. And we close this time as we pray the prayer that your son teaches on how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.